We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all of these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. From boosted parlays to live in-game offs on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit WYNNBet. Dot com to start winning. And away we go, episode 160 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Wednesday, October 6th, 2021. What is the day on which the Washington football team begins its practice week for this Sunday afternoon's game against the New Orleans Saints at FedEx Field at 1? Uh, no, the DEA did not raid Washington's practice facility on Tuesday, at least as best as we can tell. So that's a good thing. Look, as I always say, any day on which the DEA does not raid Washington's practice facility is a good day, okay? We take our victories where we can get them. But hello and welcome to another installment of the show. Coming up, a special guest, Taylor Heineke's collegiate head coach, former Old Dominion University head coach, Bobby Wilder. He is tremendous when it comes to talking Heineke. You're going to get a lot out of this interview. Excellent breakdown of what's been going on with Heineke from an X's and O's perspective. You're going to hear Coach Wilder reveal something about something that Heineke was told by Ron Rivera. If you're like me and you've been wondering why Heineke on some recent scrambles seemingly has been sliding too early, uh, you're going to get a better understanding of that. And wait until you hear what Coach Wilder has to say about Chase Young, Bobby Wilder on Taylor Heineke, and a few other items coming up two segments from now. That's because next segment, 
I'm going to get into some roster moves that Washington made on Tuesday, including signing a kicker to the practice squad, Chris Blewett. Yes, Chris Blewett. Is he the eventual replacement for Dustin Hopkins? Uh, Not so fast on that. Uh, Also, I'm going to explore where Washington is at with two things that came up during the 34-30 win at the Atlanta Falcons on Sunday. Fourth down attempts and two-point conversion attempts. Uh, One of those things continues to go well. The other thing, uh, not so much. And I'll talk some Nationals. Uh, They made some news on Tuesday. Yeah, their season just ended on Sunday, but the Nats on Tuesday announced the re-signing of one of the biggest surprises of the Nats' oh-so-bad 2021 season, Alcides Escobar. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. So let's get warmed up for a conversation with Bobby Wilder. Little Taylor Heineke talk here. Email from Ryan O'Connell on Taylor Heineke. Writes Ryan, I have a comparison for you regarding the Taters. Uh, Yes, my name for the haters of Taylor Heineke. The Tay-Tay haters, uh, continues Ryan. The situation with Heineke is a lot like he who must not be named. Their styles of play are different, but both are underdog stories of guys who weren't supposed to be this good. Both are polarizing and lead people to see what they want to see. Kirk jerks like us saw a guy who was throwing with accuracy, pushing the ball downfield more than people realized, and consistently operating the offense like the B-plus quarterback that he is. A game manager, yes, but as we know, that's not the worst thing. And I'm a little bit more process-oriented. I'm a little bit more process-oriented. Yes, there you go, Ryan. You call for your drop, I must give you your drop. Continues, Ryan. Kirk's detractors kept moving the goalposts from he's just a backup to he doesn't suck, but he's not worth $20 million, to well, he's not worth 24 to well, he can't lead a fourth quarter drive to he can't beat a winning team to he can't win in the playoffs. Meanwhile, he's done all of those things and is off to a great start this year, but it doesn't count in their eyes. If you ask 100 football fans and analysts if they were right in their initial opinions of Kirk, 100 will say yes. Our memories and perceptions are funny like that. We want to be right and we see what we want to see so that we are. As for Tay-Tay, the haters gonna hate. Truth be told, we don't know if we'll be as good as Kirk yet or better or worse, but mark my words, 100 out of 100 people will be, quote, right, end quote, about him no matter what. Uh, Excellent email, Ryan. You made a lot of good points. Uh, Kirk and Taylor obviously are very different quarterbacks, but there are definite parallels between the two in terms of each guy's like rise to being Washington's starting quarterback, right? And the initial perceptions of each guy uh, not being good enough. What happens so often in these situations, and you alluded to this, and we're all guilty of this. I'm sure I'm guilty of this at times with certain things, is confirmation bias. Confirmation bias, the tendency to interpret new evidence as confirmation of one's existing beliefs or theories. We all want to be right. Nobody likes being wrong. I don't care what anybody says. Nobody likes being wrong. And so we have an initial opinion, an initial take, and we then twist and turn and shape and form whatever it is we see to make it so that our initial opinion, our initial take is correct. This is why the Taylor Heineke haters, the daters, uh, keep picking every little nit in his performances because the harping on those nits makes it so that 
the taters uh, can say, you see, he isn't fit to be an NFL quarterback after all. As I have said about Taylor Heineke, be open-minded. I'm not sure of what he can or can't be. All that I've ever done is evaluate what he has done as a Washington quarterback. And what he has done as a Washington quarterback is play well in every game with the exception of that loss at the Buffalo Bills in week three. And it's not like he was awful in that game. He just wasn't good enough in that game. He threw two bad interceptions in that game. With Taylor Heineke, the only thing that's for sure is that nothing's for sure. The possibilities right now are all over the place with what he ultimately is. Well, something that is for sure is that it matters. Who sells your home? You need a real estate agent who's smart, reliable, and isn't going to rip you off with the commission. John Grandland of Real Broker checks all of those boxes. John Grandland understands the real estate market in the DMV. John Grandland has sold countless homes and condos in the area, including for listeners of this podcast. And John offers commission flex. Position flex. Yes, Ron, just like Position Flex. What is Commission Flex, you ask? It's simple. Flexible commission rates. The days of some flat commission rate, regardless of how easy it is to sell your home, are over. 6%, 7%, 8%. Don't accept that. John G. is changing the game with this groundbreaking concept of Commission Flex. Not every house requires the same amount of work or money spent marketing, so why should you pay the same fees? It doesn't make sense It's never made sense. If your house is going to sell in six minutes, don't pay 6%. John Grandlin will put a marketing plan together for you that will maximize your home's value and help you keep more of your hard-earned equity in your pocket. And John has a menu of commission packages from which you can choose, including, by the way, selling your home for free. Yeah, you heard that right. For free. Zero commission. Some conditions do apply, but interviewing John Grandlin is a total no-brainer. He can come by your house, give you a step-by-step plan on what to do to get top dollar, and maybe even more importantly, what not to do so you don't spend needlessly, and there's never any obligation to list or sell. If you need to sell your home and aren't sure to whom to turn, if you've been trying to sell your home and you're not satisfied with how things are going, if you're even just thinking about selling your home, do yourself a favor call John Grandlin and just see what he can do for you. Look, this is a phone call that could make and or save you tens of thousands of dollars. You have nothing to lose. Call John G. now. The phone number is 703-537-6747. Very easygoing, very easy to talk to, but this is someone who knows what he's doing, and this is someone who will take you in the right direction. When you talk to John Grandlin, make sure that you tell him that Al Galdi sent you, and make sure that you ask John Grandlin about what you keep hearing about on the Al Galdi podcast. Commission Flex. See what John G. can do for you. That phone number again, 703-537-6747, or visit johngsellsforfree.com. That's johngsellsforfree.com. John Grandlin. Nobody will do a better job of selling your home. And remember, he is the originator of Commission Flex. Position Flex. Yes, Ron. Just like Position Flex. All right. Before we get to my conversation with Taylor Heineke's collegiate head coach, former Old Dominion head coach Bobby Wilder, let's get into the Washington football team news from Tuesday. So first of all, Washington placed two players on the reserve injured list, John Bostic 
and Torrey McTire. Uh, no surprises there. Each guy suffered a serious injury in the 34-30 win at the Atlanta Falcons on Sunday. Bostic suffered a torn pectoral muscle. McTire suffered a torn ACL. The corresponding roster moves to those guys going on the reserve injured list were Washington signing linebacker Jordan Kanashik and corner Danny Johnson from the practice squad to the active roster. Jordan Kanashik is like the dream player for Ron Rivera. A, Kanashik went to Cal, just like Ron did. B, Kanashik was with the Carolina Panthers, so they signed him as an undrafted free agent in April 2019. C, Kanashik is a linebacker, which of course was Ron's position when he was a player. Ron has dreams about guys like Jordan Kanashik. Uh, Kanashik was with Washington for a good chunk of last season. Uh, Danny Johnson, we of course know well. Uh, Washington on August 31st released Johnson in the cut down to 53, but did then sign him to the practice squad. Uh, Washington this past offseason re-signed Johnson, but not before non-tendering him. He could have been a restricted free agent. Washington chose not to tender him, thus making him an unrestricted free agent. But Washington did then re-sign Johnson. Uh, Washington initially signed Johnson as an undrafted free agent at a Southern University, April 2018. This is his fourth season with Washington. He last regular season played in 14 games, but did not play on a single defensive snap the entire season. Uh, he was Washington's primary kickoff returner last season for a second time in three seasons. Uh, look, neither Kanashik nor Johnson is expected to play much, if at all, moving forward. I mean, the hope would be that you stay healthy enough to where neither guy has to play much, if at all. Uh, Bostic being out will mean more Jamin Davis and some Kalik Hudson, uh, maybe even a good bit of Kalik Hudson. We'll see how much Kalik ends up playing. Uh, he has yet to play on a single defensive snap this season. I'm also now very curious to see if Washington is going to make a play for Jalen Smith. Uh, we had some at least somewhat surprising news on Tuesday. The Cowboys have decided to part ways with veteran linebacker Jalen Smith. Uh, he had seen limited snaps this season, both in base packages and in nickel. But, you know, Jalen Smith was the Cowboys' leading tackler in each of the last two regular seasons. Uh, his reduced playing time seems to be mainly about the Cowboys now being deeper at linebacker. The Cowboys this past offseason, signed Keanu Neal in free agency and took two linebackers in the 2021 NFL draft and Micah Parsons in the first round and Jabril Cox in the fourth round. But if I'm Washington, I absolutely kick the tires on Jalen Smith. Uh, you might be able to get some good mileage out of him, and especially given the state of things for Washington at linebacker, uh, a state of not very good, uh, you should be open to anyone right now in terms of trying to upgrade that position group. Uh, what happens with McTire being out is less clear because we need to see where we're at with Benjamin St. Juice. Uh, the reason that McTire was Washington's number three corner in the win at the Falcons was that St. Juice was inactive due to a concussion. If St. Juice remains out for this Sunday against the New Orleans Saints at FedEx Field, then that likely means that we'll see Daryl Roberts as Washington's number three corner. He has yet to play on a single defensive snap this season. Roberts for the win at the Falcons was active for the first time in four games this season, but he did not play on any of Washington's defensive snaps. Now, also on Tuesday, Washington signed a kicker. Now, the kicker was signed to the practice squad, not to the active roster, and the kicker has never kicked in an NFL regular season game. The kicker's name is Chris Blew it. Yes, Chris blew it. His last name 
is Blewett. He's a kicker, and his last name is Blewett. As Adam Sandler said in the movie Billy Madison, You blew it! Yes, you blew it. Uh, I am sure that Chris Blewett has heard the joke about his last name about 50,000 times in his life. But man, that is something else. I mean, come on. He's a kicker, and his last name is Blewett. You blew it! Yes, exactly. But like I said, Chris Blewett has never kicked in an NFL regular season game. He was with the Chicago Bears from March 2019 to June 2019. He participated in a Pittsburgh Steelers rookie minicamp in 2017 on a tryout basis, but Blewett has never kicked in an NFL regular season game. So as much as we're all fed up with Dustin Hopkins' inconsistency, I mean, you wanted to scream with him missing those two extra point attempts in the win at the Falcons on Sunday. Would you want Chris Blewett over Dustin Hopkins as Washington's kicker? Like, it's one thing to be extremely frustrated with Dustin Hopkins. We all are. But it's another thing to pull the trigger on this, cut Hopkins, and go with, say, Chris Blewett as your new kicker. Ron Rivera, during his day after the game Zoom press conference on Monday, answered a question about his position on Dustin Hopkins' job security moving forward with that very cryptic line of, quote, he's our kicker, and we'll leave it at that, end quote. Here's the audio. Well, he's our kicker, um, and we'll leave it at that. Very telling answer, I thought, from Don Ron. Well, if Hopkins is one miss away from being cut, and Chris Blewett is, in fact, the next man up, uh, I don't know about that, (laughs) okay? I'm not so certain about that one. Uh, So Chris Blewett was a kicker at Pitt from 2013 through 2016, but Blewett over his final two seasons at Pitt, 2015 and 2016, went just 25 of 40 on field goals. 25 of 40. That's it. 15 missed field goal attempts over his final two seasons at Pitt. And yes, Pitt does play in some bad weather, Uh, but still, that's not a sparkling stat. 15 missed field goal attempts over his final two seasons at Pitt. Uh, Chris Blewett is a local. He's from Northern Virginia. He went to West Potomac High School in Alexandria, Virginia. You know, I was thinking about this. I wonder if Ron signed Blewett to the practice squad just to make us all shut up about Hopkins. You know, maybe Ron was like, I'll sign this guy Blewett who has a resume so underwhelming that it'll make everyone appreciate old D-Hop more and beg me not to cut D-Hop. But yeah, for now, Chris Blewett is Washington's Dustin Hopkins insurance. Remember, we just went through this with Eddie Pinheiro. Uh, He was on Washington's practice squad from September 3rd to September 11th. Uh, I will say this about Dustin Hopkins. Yes, he is maddeningly inconsistent. And yes, Washington's extreme loyalty to him over the years has been very odd. But you can do worse than Dustin Hopkins. That's part of why he's lasted for so long. This idea of, well, we can do worse than Dustin Hopkins. And the danger in cutting Hopkins for an Eddie Pinheiro or a Chris Blewett or anyone else is that you could end up worse off at kicker. Now, that's not a good enough reason to not move on 
from Dustin Hopkins. I'm not a believer in the thing of, well, you could do worse than him. Well, okay, how about you do better than him, okay? But you do have to be aware of this idea of, yeah, if you cut Dustin Hopkins, there is that risk of the next guy isn't even as good as Dustin Hopkins. The last thing that you want with this Hopkins situation is for Washington to cut him and then have a kicker who's worse than Hopkins was. In other words, you don't want to blow it. You blew it! Exactly. Thank you. Our special guest, Taylor Heineke's collegiate head coach, former Old Dominion head coach, Bobby Wilder, is up next. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped. The scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. All right. Well, very pleased to welcome to the Al Galdi podcast right now a special guest. He is a man who knows Washington football team quarterback Taylor Heineke quite well. Former Old Dominion football head coach Bobby Wilder. He was ODU's head coach from 2009 through 2019. Heineke was a quarterback for ODU from 2011 through 2014. It was with Coach Wilder and Heineke that ODU made the transition from the FCS to the FBS beginning with the 2013 season. It was with Coach Wilder that Heineke for the 2012 season won the Walter Payton Award as the best player in the FCS. Coach, it's great to talk to you again. How are you? Oh, I'm doing great, Al. Excited to uh, to be with you and your listeners today. So what has it been like for you these last few weeks watching Taylor do as he has done as Washington's starting quarterback? It's been it's been awesome. It's been a lot of fun. I've uh, been communicating with him um, via via message, just to stay in touch with him and 
really excited for him, really happy for him. And, and in my opinion, Al, he's just he's just going to continue to get better. I, I don't think uh, Washington fans have seen the best of him uh, to this point. In your communications with Taylor, do you get the sense that he's in a good place, that he's feeling confident, that he's really ready to seize this opportunity? Because from afar, it feels like he is in a good place and he is really ready to pounce and he's done quite well so far, obviously. He is. He's in a really good place. Uh, But I'll tell you something, Al. He is locked in and focused and he continues to treat this like his backs against the wall he knows that um the the nfl's you know it stands for not for long and he's experienced that throughout his seven-year career so he's in no way uh satisfied or feels comfortable with his place in the nfl he feels like every every game every quarter every drive every play he's got to produce uh in order to stay in the position that he's staying in, but he is definitely gaining confidence with the early success that he's having. So of the two wins, week two over the Giants, week four at Atlanta, which game was the better game for Taylor, in your opinion? Um, I feel like it was the Atlanta game, and I say that because it was hostile environment, on the road, uh, all his family and friends there. They fall down 10 to nothing, and it's just not looking good. The defense can't get off the field on third down. So as a quarterback, you're on the bench. Then, hey, it's third and 13. You get up. You maybe make a couple throws. Then Atlanta converts. Then you sit back down. I mean, all these things that were just were, were mentally challenging for him, uh, he handled it. And then, you know, what I've seen him do his entire career when he played for me at Old Dominion, he just – finds a way to lead his team to victory. And, and what I've been telling people, Al, when he did it in college, it was one thing. Now he's doing it against the best players in the world. And I I really feel like that Atlanta game was just, it was tremendous growth for him uh, in terms of what he had to do on the road as opposed to the Giants win at home. You know, you talk about finding a way, and we certainly saw that in that win at the Falcons with the two miracle fourth quarter touchdown passes. And I mean, it can sound cliche, right? Like he finds a way, but he does. Like there does seem to be something about him to where he finds ways to make plays. You're as used to it as anyone, but how amazed are you to see him continuing to do this now at the NFL level? Uh, I'm not, I'm not amazed. I'm not surprised i'm proud and i'm excited and i'm happy for him and and even i've got a little bit of wow factor going right now because like i said he's doing it against the best players in the world um but he he continues to have growth and that's what as a coach that's what i'm excited to see that's what you hear ron rivera keeps asking for it and i know maybe fans media like uh, here he goes again that's coach speak but as a coach you're so locked in, especially a head coach. You're so locked in on and focused on just seeing a little bit of growth each week out of your team. And I don't know if you heard Rivera in the locker room after the game when he was handing out game balls, but he's talking about that that growth, just trying to get a little better. And, you know, he sees it on offense. He sees it in clutch situations late in the game in the fourth quarter, but he's not seeing it from his defense consistently and and i want to point out something about the defense let's 
Think back to the opening game against the Chargers. Well, we saw what the Chargers did to the Raiders. Chargers are a pretty damn good football team, and Washington had them beat. Washington was up 16-13 with the ball uh, and then fumbles on their own three-yard line, and that's how the Chargers win the game. So when you think about it, Al, this team could easily be 3-1, and one, and everybody locked in and focused and blaming the defense, but they could be 3-1 and one if the offense didn't lose that first game. So uh, I think that growth will come. I think they'll get a little bit better. And as long as Taylor continues to do that, they're going to have opportunities to win games. Talking Taylor Heineke with his collegiate head coach, former ODU head coach, Bobby Wilder. So with the growth that you're seeing in Taylor Heineke, where are you seeing growth in particular? Well, the, the number one area that I'm seeing it right now is in his his processing information. And what I mean by that, I'll give you a great example. The the touchdown pass to win the game to McKissick, that was his fifth read. And uh, I know some people, last year I did an interview uh, on the radio um, out of Washington after the Tampa Bay game when people were just totally amazed with, with what he did. Um, you know, basically coming off his sister's couch and from classes at Old Dominion to almost beat Tampa Bay, the eventual Super Bowl champions. And what what I talked about in that interview was that he was the only five-read guy I'd ever coached in 32 years. I'd never had a five-read guy. I'd had a bunch of three-read guys, meaning they could go one, two, three, you know, before they took off and, and ran the ball or got sacked. Well, you saw on the touchdown to McKissick, that was his fifth read. They had a flood concept coming from right to left. Uh, they covered it. Atlanta covered it. So he was scanning it. And unbelievable protection by the O-line. But he didn't panic. He didn't just take off. He didn't throw it into that coverage into the flood concept. He looked down, and, the, and then he was looking for J.D. Uh, and what J.D. did is he wasn't in the middle of the field. He slipped out to the right because nobody was there. And if you go back and watch the play out, what happens is the Mike linebackers got J.D. McKissick, and then he sees Taylor go to the left and thinks he's going to run, so he breaks coverage. And Taylor comes back to it. So that's an example, Al, of what I'm seeing as someone who watched him play for four years is he's processing information really quickly. Uh, you look at the, the next-gen stats in the NFL, and you know he's, he's down near the bottom of the league in terms of holding the ball too long, but what I would say to that stat is that he's only been sacked three times. Great job by the O-line. But he's also, he's so adept at moving away from pressure as he keeps his eyes downfield. So he's avoiding sacks. He runs when he has to. But that processing of information, Al, and getting to that fifth read to win a football game is something that so few NFL quarterbacks can do. Not college quarterbacks. NFL quarterbacks, and you've had some guys in Washington like RG3 and Dwayne Haskins and others that they can't get to that many reads that quickly, and that's something Taylor's doing really well right now, and if that continues, he'll continue to have success. Is processing speed the most important trait for a quarterback to have? Absolutely, 100%. There's, you can talk about arm strength. You know, He doesn't have comparably speaking to other NFL quarterbacks, he doesn't have a strong arm. So how is how is Taylor Heineke having any success in the NFL at all? He's not six four. He's six foot tall. He doesn't have a rocket arm. How he didn't play at a power five school. How is he, he this is his seventh year. This is his 
six team and so how is this guy having any success it's because he processes information really well he can do it fast the average QB pocket time in the NFL is 2.6 seconds, meaning that's on average what you have uh, before you get swallowed up by one of those 300-pound creatures, and he's processing that information so quickly. And here's here's what he does. Now. I'll break it down even more for you and your listeners. He can eliminate two reads before the ball snapped. And what I mean by that, if, if he's got a primary route concept that Scott Turner's given him in his ear, he's called in the huddle, and he looks and he sees a coverage that's going to rotate to that read side and take away his first two reads, he'll come off that before he takes the snap, and then he'll go to his third, fourth, fifth read. So all we see as fans or all the analysts see are, okay, he, you know, he threw the ball to the right side, he got it out on time. Well, maybe the initial read was to the left side. That's how good he is at processing. He's smart. Remember, he's an engineering math major, so numbers, shapes, that all makes sense to Taylor Heineke. In his head, he can quantify numbers quicker than, than we can. And that allows him to process it quick. That allows him to get the ball out of his hands fast. That's outstanding. Bobby Wilder breaking it down scientifically here on the Al Galdi podcast. I want to get your take on this. So Ron Rivera, the day after the loss at Buffalo in week three, made the comment that he wanted Taylor to, quote, do things in more of a game manager way, end quote. I mean, to me, Ron was saying that he wants Taylor to make good decisions. I didn't think that Ron was trying to, like, handcuff Taylor or anything. But what did you make of the game manager comment? What do you think when you hear that phrase, game manager? Oh, I, I knew exactly what, what Ron was talking about. He was talking about it. And, and you said it, Al. You broke it down. You picked up on it. It was just make better decisions uh, with the football. Don't feel like... Um, don't feel like down 21 nothing. you have to make something happen. You know, a couple times he threw the ball into the middle of the field into coverage and it got intercepted. And, you know, Ron's point on that, which is the same point I'd make to Taylor all the time in college, is, you know, take off and run, slide, get five yards, add five yards to the punt, or throw the ball away. But let's let's punt the ball and let's give let's give the other team 75 80 yard field that's that's what he was speaking to in that point and, and taylor picked up on it i mean taylor even said it himself uh in the post-game comments that he knew that he could not or he cannot the rest of the way force things when they're down and i'll go back to the atlanta game i mean washington's been getting down in football games so that Right away, they're down 10 points to Atlanta, but you watched him. He didn't force the ball in that situation. Yeah, he threw the ball into some tight windows. The the touchdown pass to McLaurin to make it 10-7. Al, if you go back and look at that, the, the safety for Atlanta, that he's within inches of the ball when, when Terry catches it in the back left corner. That's the NFL. There's things that are going to be really tight. So he throws it into some tight windows, but in that game, he didn't throw the ball in the middle of the field into coverage and I thought that was tremendous growth for him I, I thought he was listening to what what Ron Revere and Scott Turner are, are telling him that that he needs to do to improve and and let's also keep this in mind now you're talking the Tampa game last year he comes in uh in the second quarter I believe against the Chargers this year then Giants Bills Falcons so we're talking about a guy that's played three and a half games this year four and a half total uh, he's not unlike a rookie from the standpoint of he doesn't have a lot of on-field actual full-speed work. So he's still growing. We still haven't seen 
you know, what his ceiling can be. Uh, he's not a veteran NFL quarterback, even though he's been in the league for seven years. So he'll pick up on what Ron says, and he'll get better at that, Elton. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, you know, the people who are trying to put limits on what Heineke can be in the NFL, I'm like, no, man, let's keep seeing this. You know, let's see where this ride takes us with the idea of making good decisions. So something like the second touchdown pass to Terry McLaurin in the win at the Falcons, that fourth quarter one, that desperation miracle touchdown pass. As a coach, if you're watching that tape with Taylor, do you praise him because the play worked out and ended up being a spectacular play? Do you tell him not to do that again? What's the coaching point on a play like that? Well, I, this is something that, you know, when Taylor did this at Old Dominion, go back to probably the biggest win we had early at Old Dominion, 2011, we beat James Madison. It was, they were nationally ranked. They were picked to win the Colonial Athletic Association. And we had a fourth down and six. We had a bootleg called, um, he mishandled the snap, dropped it. They blitzed him. He rolled out to his left. The guy chased him. He spun around, came back to his right. He backed up 10 yards to about the 45-yard line, and just when he was about to get drilled, he threw a jump ball into the end zone to Larry Pinker, a good receiver we had who had probably a four-year career in the NFL. And Larry went up between two defenders and, and caught it, and that play reminded me uh, so much of what Taylor did Sunday with McLaurin. Now, he's going to try to make plays like that. He's not going to do it. A lot. He's not going to do it all the time. And his answer after when he was asked about that was, I felt like Terry would make that play. So I don't think he throws that ball to just anybody. And I'm not taking anything away from the other Washington receivers. But right now, Terry McLaurin is playing at a level, Al, that's probably one of the top 10, maybe even top five receivers in the NFL right now. He's playing at that high of a level. So Taylor, again, think of like, I keep telling you, Al, he processes things in his head so fast and he does the math in his head so fast that his brain, I guarantee you his brain on that play said that's Terry McLaurin in the back of the end zone. And the guy who's back there with him is not as good as him. So I'm going to put the ball up in the air and give him a chance to catch it. And it worked out. But again, I don't think he's going to do that with just anybody. I think that was because it was Terry McLaurin in the back of the end zone. Yeah, that's a great point. And like you said, McLaurin is playing at such a high level. So with Taylor as a runner over these last few games, it was interesting. He and the win over the Giants barely ran and beat the Giants from the pocket. He has been back to running more in each of these last two games. He has taken some stiff shots, and Ron Rivera has said, you know, Taylor needs to avoid those. He also, at times, it feels like is maybe sliding a smidge too early and is not getting the first down, like on a, say, a third and seven, he'll get a six-yard scramble, that kind of thing. I know it's tough, right, because he is trying to avoid the unnecessary hits. Watching him from the standpoint of him as a runner recently, what is standing out to you? Oh, he is definitely not the same runner he was in college and, and not the same runner he was against Tampa Bay. You know, he's he's been told in a very direct manner. Um, it, privately, he's been he's been told in a in a very direct manner. Now, publicly, I know they're you know they're trying to say, hey, we just want to protect him, this and that. But privately, he's he's been told, look, um, you know, Fitz is out right now. Uh, we can't lose you to a five yard gain where you don't slide, and they're. They've really done a good job of getting him out to understand the big picture right now. And the big picture is, you know, we need you to be 
healthy and continue to grow and get better. So they've, they've pointed out from a big picture standpoint that a five yard game isn't worth losing you for five games. That's, that's the math they've done with him and his head. And, and he's, he's learning from it. He's trying to adjust out. He's trying his best to, you know, still run and get the first down and, and get down. He's trying not to get hit because that's what they're telling him to do. You know, if you're going to take off and run, get what you can get. But if you can't get out of bounds, in no way do you take a hit. So it's just a little awkward for him right now. He's trying to figure out how to do that the best way he can. And I know people, when, when we watch it on TV, Al, we go, well, well, why did he slide that quick? Or why did he get down there? I promise you, I played quarterback, coached it my whole life. When you're running down the field and there's guys on your left and your right, it's not that easy to try to figure out exactly when do I slide. Yeah. Because these guys are so fast. They have such unbelievable closing speed. And the number one thing they want to do is hit the quarterback. That's that's how defenders are taught. That's how I taught my defensive players at Old Dominion. You can you can impact the entire game with one hit on the quarterback. You know, if that if you get a good legal hit on the quarterback and he's got to come out of the game, you just changed everything. Because the biggest drop off, Al, in all of sport, in all of sport, is going from your starting quarterback to your backup. There's no bigger drop off at any position in sport, in my opinion, you know, your, your backup wide receiver can come in. You can play another lineman, a D lineman. When your quarterback goes out, your starting quarterback, that's, that's a tremendous drop off, particularly if you have a legitimate quarterback. Like imagine Tom Brady going down in Tampa Bay. I mean, is Blaine Gabbert going to play to the same level? So, um, he's, he's understanding that they're making those points to him. And I think he's getting much better with it out. Makes sense. Uh, you know, as well as anyone, how good of a relationship that Taylor Heineke has with Scott Turner. What has jumped out to you when it comes to Scott's play calling with Taylor as Washington's quarterback? I, I think Scott's getting more adapted how to call the game for him. And when I say that, what I mean, Al, is he's, he's giving him, I don't know if you picked up on this, but the very first play of the game against Atlanta, they come out with no backs. And you know, it's a multiple replay, the very first play of the game. Well, you'd think with a guy who's only played, you know, started three games this year and four games total for Washington, you might come out in two back and maybe it's just a handoff, a lead play, you know, a, an off tackle play, a play action pass. No, it's it's empty. We're in empty, so the defense knows we're going to throw the ball right now. And it, 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 my point is Scott's comfort level with Taylor and his ability to read the full field, uh, his ability to protect the ball. Scott's getting very comfortable with that. And, and Al, when I talk about full field reads, you don't see that a lot with an inexperienced quarterback. For example, you know, Justin Field right now and, and Trevor Lawrence, you know, these, these younger quarterbacks, they're not getting full field reads. They're getting area reads or object receiver where it's one to two receivers uh as well they should they're young it's they're just in the nfl whereas taylor's getting full field reads he's he's throwing game-winning touchdown passes on his fifth read so that's telling scott and i i, I believe that's going to grow even more al i believe with that touchdown pass the check down to jd mckissick to win the game scott's looking at that and going wow you know, he, he got to his fifth read on this play. Let's design more things that allow for him to have, 
not one option, not two, not three, but but five pretty good options in the package. So I guarantee you, Scott and the other guys are in the lab right now uh, trying to come up with more concepts for him that are five-read concepts. I love it. Final topic, just to get away from Taylor Heineke, you mentioned Washington's defense. Do you have a theory for what's going on with this defense? I mean, the defense has all of this talent. You have two very well-established defensive coaches in Ron Rivera and Jack Del Rio, and yet the defense has really struggled especially on third downs. Uh, Ron Rivera has talked about guys not adhering to the scheme. What do you make of what's going on with this Washington football team defense? Oh, I, I, I see exactly what Ron is talking about, and I see how frustrating it is for Jack Del Rio right now. I mean, and the one, one thing I would say to your listeners, Al, and I know I'm a coach. I'm going to sound like I'm defending the coach. I'm not. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you when a coach isn't doing a good job, but Jack Del Rio is, is one hell of a football coach. He's been one hell of a football coach his entire career. Look what he did with that defense last year. Ron Rivera is an outstanding football coach and an expertise on defense. And I see exactly what Ron Rivera is saying, and I see how frustrating it is for Jack Del Rio right now because they won't adhere to the scheme, especially, especially those front four guys. And Chase Young's a prime example of somebody who um, – and I'm not ripping on Chase Young. I think he's special. I think he cares. I think he wants to win badly. But Chase Young is out of position 50% of the time in their scheme right now in his pass rush in his lane. So he's he's too far up the field and and opens a lane inside or, or he comes underneath the tackle trying to make a sack when he's supposed to be the contained player. And that's just one example. It's happening all over the field. They're having these individual breakdowns where guys, and I think it's a product right now of their pressing L. They're trying so hard to make plays. They're frustrated. And now it's in their head on third down. I mean, there was one drive against Atlanta. It was like a third and five, third and eight, third and 13. They converted for a touchdown. And I looked at the slumped shoulders on the field of the defenders and just thought, you know what, these guys right now, uh, it's in their head. Uh, and they need something good to happen, Alan. I know that sounds fundamental, but the, the momentum aspect of playing defense in football. Look look at the Dallas Cowboys right now on defense. I mean, they've got a rookie that's out there making ridiculous plays. They've got a they've got a new D coordinator in there and a new scheme. Well, he didn't reinvent the wheel. I mean, football is pretty much the same on defense. In the NFL, most of it's man coverage. So they're just playing with confidence right now. The Cowboys are confident on defense, and Washington right now lacks confidence. And if guys would just stick to the scheme and just commit to it and say, you know what, I'm going to stop trying to do it all myself. I'm going to play the scheme that's called and, and just stick to that. They will have success. Because, again, I go back out to just three weeks ago, one of the most explosive offenses in the NFL, the Chargers, had 20 points. And it was really 13 points that they scored against this Washington defense. So it's there. We've all seen it. We all know it's there. They've just got to get back to doing their job individually, and that'll help the entire unit get better. Something I just wanted to point out to you quickly, we, we didn't get to the schedule. Yeah. Uh, and I did some homework on this, and I, I think Washington fans need to need to grab your butts with both hands here the next nine weeks because this is the hardest schedule in the NFL over the next nine weeks. Nobody on the schedule has a losing record. It's it's twenty four and nine overall, I believe, Al, with the next nine. I'm talking about the Saints, the Chiefs, the Packers, Broncos, 
Buccaneers, Panthers, Seahawks, Raiders, Cowboys. That's what's coming in the next nine weeks. And if I realistically, Al, if I said to you that this could possibly be three and six, um, could be four and five, five and four would be outstanding, in my opinion, against that schedule over the next nine weeks. Now, Washington fans would be happy with that. They'd say, come on, coach, three and six, four and five. But nobody in the NFL, no, not one of the other 31 teams has that schedule over the next nine weeks. So right now, to me, the pressure is on the defense. They have got to pick it up. They have got to play better because we may have to win some 17, 14 games or or games like the Chargers game, 20 to 16. That's more to me what should be happening with Washington's defense right now. And that is a brutal schedule out the next nine weeks. Then after that, it's, you know, at the Eagles, at the Cowboys, home to the Eagles, home to the Giants. So, you know, that obviously could be a really nice finish. But right now, Washington fans, this football team's got to buckle up because the next nine weeks is going to be an absolute bear of a schedule. No doubt. Uh, I would take four and five in a heartbeat. You just need to stay afloat until you get to the end of the schedule, the last five regular season games, all NFC East games. And if you're just in the mix, you can make hay with those division games at the end of the season. But you're right. This is a nine-game gauntlet that begins on Sunday against the New Orleans Saints at FedEx Field. Yep, hold on with both hands and, and survive. Just try to get a little better, get some get some third-down stops, which I, there's no way, no way possible that with the NFL record 51% third-down conversions for a season that this – I think we're at 60% right now in defense. There's no way that's going to hang. So I know they're going to get better on third down. They'll get stops. They'll get off the field. They'll get turnovers. But they're going to have to, in that next nine games, I think this defense is going to have to give up 24, 23 points or less for Washington to get out of this four and five or five and four because it's going to be extremely hard for the offense to you know, put up the, the 30 points they did against the Giants or the 34 they did against the Falcons. That's just going to be an awful lot to ask these next nine weeks, Al. Great stuff. Former Old Dominion head coach Bobby Wilder. You can follow him on Twitter, at Coach Wilder 353 Always love getting your insights, Coach. Thank you so much for your time. Oh, it was awesome being with you, Al. Be with you anytime. Hang in there, Washington fans. Taylor's going to get better every week. Looking forward to that being the case. Excellent perspective from Bobby Wilder on Taylor Heineke. That kind of insight, not at all common. Uh, Unfortunately, something that is common is skin cancer. Uh, Skin cancer actually is the most common of all cancers. In fact, skin cancer accounts for nearly half of all cancer cases in the United States. Uh, If you have concerns about your skin, if you are dealing with skin cancer, if you have had skin cancer and haven't seen a doctor in a while, always know that Dr. George Verghese in the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland are there for you. Dr. Verghese is a board-certified dermatologist and Mohs surgeon. He is one of the nation's premier dermatologists. Uh, Dr. Verghese is a big Washington football team fan, big listener of this podcast, and operating under his direction is the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland. The Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland diagnoses and treats a broad range of acute and chronic skin conditions, including skin cancer. Dr. Verghese and his team offer state-of-the-art treatments for skin cancer, including something that's a game-changer, superficial radiation therapy, or SRT. SRT is an alternative to surgical procedures for basal cell and squamous cell skin cancers. SRT is safe, effective, and non-surgical. You see, 
having skin cancer doesn't mean having to have surgery and the downtime and side effects, cosmetic and otherwise, that come with surgery. You have options. SRT is an option. And Dr. George Verghese in the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland offer the option of SRT, unlike many other dermatology practices in the area. And SRT is covered by most insurances. To find out more, call 301-396-3401. Make sure you tell them that Al Galdi sent you. That phone number again, 301-396-3401. Or visit midatlanticskin.com. That's midatlanticskin.com. Dr. George Verghese in the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland, nationally recognized for treating skin cancer across the Mid-Atlantic region. Some more on the Washington football team. I'd like to get into two things that came up during the 34-30 win at the Atlanta Falcons on Sunday. The two things are going for it on fourth down and going for two. So we'll start with going forward on fourth down. Washington in the win at the Falcons went one for two on fourth downs. Uh, The fail came in the first half. Washington's second offensive drive started late in the first quarter, resulted in an early second quarter turnover on downs. Eighth snap of the drive on a fourth and one at the Falcons 36 with Washington trailing 3-0 late in the first quarter. Ron Rivera went for it and Antonio Gibson had a shotgun handoff run for no gain as uh, the Falcons' interior defensive lineman Grady Jarrett penetrated through Washington's offensive line to make half of the tackle. So that was the fail. But then in the second half, Washington's sixth offensive drive, a 14-play, 73-yard drive, resulted in Dustin Hopkins' third-quarter 21-yard field goal that cut Washington's deficit to 23-22. Sixth snap of the drive on a fourth and five at the Falcons 39, with Washington trailing 23-19 in the third quarter. Ron Rivera went for it, and Taylor Heineke had a fourth and five, 10-yard shotgun completion to Curtis Samuel, who was wide open and made a nice spin move to get by the former Washington corner Fabian Moreau for yardage after the catch. Yak, as it is known. A huge play, and a play that was a result of a decision that Ron, to me, has not received enough praise for. That was a gutsy call. Fourth and five at the Falcons 39. You're down by four, 23-19. It's only the third quarter, so this is far from like desperation time. But Ron went for it on the fourth and five. That took some chops. That took some cojones, especially considering how poorly Washington's defense was playing. I love the aggression from Ron, and the aggression was rewarded. I think most people by now understand that teams all along should have been going for it on fourth downs so much more often than those teams were going for it on fourth downs. I had no problems with both fourth down attempts. I thought those were perfectly acceptable decisions. You know, context always matters in going for it on a fourth down, but I thought each decision was just fine. And obviously that second decision paid off big time. I'm a little surprised that this decision hasn't been talked about more. Fourth and five at the Falcons 39, down by just four third quarter, Washington goes for it, and the play succeeded beautifully. Understand, uh, Washington now this season is five of seven on fourth downs. Washington so far has actually done quite well on fourth downs, and this continues an encouraging trend for Washington under Ron Rivera. Washington in the 2020 regular season went 11 of 19 on fourth downs. Good for 13th in the NFL and fourth down efficiency at 57 
0.9%. Now, you know, 13th isn't a leader or anything like that, but given how bad Washington's offense was overall last regular season, you do anything that was top half of the league, uh, we throw a parade for that. And Washington was rather efficient on fourth downs in the 2020 regular season. And Washington is off to a good start in fourth down efficiency this season at 5-7. Washington has been sneaky good on fourth downs since the start of last season, since Ron Rivera became Washington head coach. And as many of you listening know, going forward on fourth downs is where the Riverboat Ron nickname came from. And Ron had quite a bit of success on fourth downs during his time as Carolina Panthers head coach. Ron over his eight completed regular seasons as Panthers head coach, so we're talking about 2011 through 2018, went 56 for 99 on fourth downs. That's a success rate of 56.57%, good for number four in the NFL during that span. That's good, okay? And the Panthers had some excellent seasons in terms of fourth down efficiency with Ron as head coach. 2013 regular season, Panthers went 10 for 13 on fourth downs. 2016 regular season, Panthers went 11 of 17 on fourth downs. The value in being efficient on fourth downs is so high, right? I mean, this is obvious, but you're talking about extending offensive drives, generating more points, keeping your defense off the field, keeping opposing offenses off the field, etc. This is a great skill to have as a team, being good on fourth downs. And so far, Washington has been good on fourth downs this season. However, where Washington continues to be terrible is on going for two. So Washington in the win at the Falcons went 0 for 2 on two-point conversion attempts. Uh, Both of Washington's failed two-point conversion attempts came in the fourth quarter. Uh, Washington going for two, of course, was necessitated by Dustin Hopkins having missed two extra point attempts earlier in the game. So Washington failed on a two-point conversion attempt that followed Taylor Heineke's fourth quarter, first and 10, 17-yard under center play action touchdown pass to Terry McLaurin on that miracle play that cut Washington's deficit to 30-28. What happened on this first two-point conversion attempt fail was Heineke throwing way high on an under center play action and completion intended for Ricky Seals-Jones. You may remember this sequence was a mess. Uh, First, we had Samuel Cosme committing a five-yard full start penalty, moving the line of scrimmage for the two-point conversion attempt from the Falcons to to the Falcons seven. Then we had a four-yard offside penalty on Falcons edge rusher Dante Fowler Jr., moving the line of scrimmage to the Falcons three and negating a Taylor Heineke shotgun incompletion on a broken and free play. And then we had the official play, uh, Heineke, his shotgun incompletion intended for Seals Jones. And then the second Washington fail on a two-point conversion attempt in the win at the Falcons. Uh, this came after Taylor Heineke's third and seven, 30-yard shotgun touchdown pass to J.D. McKissick with 33 seconds left in the fourth quarter on that broken play that gave Washington a 34-30 lead. On this two-point conversion attempt fail, we had a McKissick run that uh, went nowhere. Uh, McKissick on a shotgun handoff run got buried in the backfield by Dante Fowler Jr., who came in unblocked. So Washington in the win at the Falcons, 0 for 2 on two-point conversion attempts. Uh, Those were the first two two two-point conversion attempts for Washington this season. Washington in the 2020 regular season went an NFL worst 0 for 5 on two-point conversion attempts. So Washington, since the start of last season, is 0 for 7 
on two-point conversion attempts. Uh, Just for context here, the NFL as a whole in the 2020 regular season went 63 for 131 on two-point conversion attempts, 48.08%. So, I mean, teams do convert on these two-point conversion attempts, and some teams do really well. Uh, The Minnesota Vikings in the 2020 regular season went an NFL best 8-12 on two-point conversion attempts. The Philadelphia Eagles in the 2020 regular season were number two in the NFL in two-point conversion percentage and going 7-16. Washington, again, 0-5 on two-point conversion attempts in the 2020 regular season. And Washington, 0-7 on two-point conversion attempts since the start of the 2020 season. And it's not just that. Washington in the 2019 regular season went one for six on two-point conversion attempts. So Washington, since the start of the 2019 season, is one for 13 on two-point conversion attempts. The only successful two-point conversion attempt for Washington since the start of the 2019 season came in week 11 of that 2019 season. Washington fell to one and nine with a 34-17 loss to the New York Jets at FedEx Field. But in that game, Dwayne Haskins completed an off-schedule shotgun pass to Trey Quinn on a two-point conversion attempt. That's it. That is the lone successful two-point conversion attempt for Washington since the start of the 2019 season. The NFL is still not great at going for two. Uh, I mentioned the success rate last regular season, the overall league-wide success rate on two-point conversion attempts in the 2020 regular season, 48.08%. The NFL as a whole in the 2019 regular season went 54 for 113 on two-point conversion attempts, 47.79%. Now, I'll grant you that when you look at individual teams in seasons in terms of how those teams do on two-point conversion attempts. I mean, these are small sample sizes, like with Washington, right? 2019 regular season, 1-6. 2020 regular season, 0-5. 2021 regular season so far, 0-2. So these are not massive sample sizes, obviously. It's interesting to me how infrequently teams are going for two. You know, the thinking just a few years ago was that going for two after most touchdowns might be the future of the NFL. That is not proven to be the case, even as so many teams now are going for it on fourth downs so often. Aggression on fourth downs has very much become a thing. Aggression and going for two instead of kicking the extra point attempt has not become a thing. But geez, Washington is one for 13 on two-point conversion attempts since the start of the 2019 season. That's part of why uh, it is imperative that Washington's kicker make his extra point attempts. Well, the Nationals' 2021 season just ended on Sunday. The MLB postseason just got going on Tuesday night. Oh, by the way, American League wildcard game, the Boston Red Sox ripping the New York Yankees 6-2. The ex-Nat Kyle Schwarber leadoff homer in the bottom of the third on a 1-2 pitch. Was nice to see that. Uh, But we on Tuesday got our first piece of news of the Nats offseason, the re-signing of Alcides Escobar. Uh, He was set to become a free agent this offseason, and that his re-signing has been met so positively and really was considered a no-brainer really is remarkable. So this is a one-year contract. The 2022 season will be Escobar's 
age 35 season. Yeah, the re-signing of a guy going into his age 35 season for a retooling, if not rebuilding team in the Nats was a no-brainer. Go figure, uh, but it's true. Uh, the Nats this past July 3rd acquired Escobar from the Kansas City Royals for cash considerations and a total desperation move. Uh, the trade came in the middle of the Nats getting swept by the Los Angeles Dodgers in a four-game series at Nationals Park. The series was perhaps the low point of the Nats' 2021 season in terms of the Nats' age and the Nats' lack of positional versatility. Lack of positional versatility was a major issue for the Nats in their 2021 season. Uh, They, due to a variety of circumstances going on at the time of this series, had backup catcher Alex Avila as a starting second baseman for what ended up being a 6-2 rain-shortened five-inning loss to the Dodgers on July 1st. Uh, Avila had never played second base in his major league career, which started in 2009 and ended with this season. And Avila in that game suffered bilateral calf strains. He didn't play for the Nats again until September 4th. So with that all going on, Alcides Escobar is acquired from the Royals for, again, cash considerations. Uh, This was his age 34 season. Escobar had not played in a major league regular season game since the 2018 season during which he was among the worst players in the sport. Alcides Escobar's wins above replacement for baseball reference for the 2018 season was an abysmal minus 2.2. He was well below replacement level in that 2018 season. His career was thought to essentially be over, but Escobar ended up being the Nats' every game shortstop and number two batter for most of the rest of the 2021 season, and he was stunningly productive. Uh, Escobar in the 2021 season, over 75 games, had a wins above replacement per baseball reference of 1.5, more than respectable over a 75-game stretch. Uh, Escobar in the 2021 season, over 349 plate appearances, had a batting average of 288, an on-base percentage of 340, a slugging percentage of 404. You cook it all up, you normalize it. That works out to an OPS plus of 105. 100 is league average, so he was an above-average batter. Uh, Escobar was the master of, as I called it, the garbage hit. Uh, Escobar had a number of hits off weak contact and in-plate appearances in which he was down at one point, 0-2 or 1-2. But I say that as a compliment. Alcides Escobar is excellent at plate coverage and making contact, and we saw that so often this past national season. Uh, Escobar was clutch. Uh, Escobar in the 2021 season, over 76 plate appearances with runners in scoring position, had an OPS of 980. That's outstanding. And that 980 OPS was beefed up by a 561 slugging percentage. Yeah, he slugged 561 with runners in scoring position. Uh, a net to pick might be the defense to an extent. Uh, Escobar in the 2021 season did have minus four defensive runs saved over 503 into third innings at shortstop. But Escobar also can play second base. And Escobar in the 2021 season in playing 134 into third innings at second base had plus one defensive run saved. And so I look at Alcides Escobar and I say a few things. Uh, yeah, he's older and not a true long-term piece, but he plays two key defensive positions in shortstop and second base. He has a skill that has become exceedingly rare, hitting for contact. This is only a one-year deal. This is not some massive commitment. 
Uh, ideally, he's not even an everyday player for the Nats in 2022. I'd love to see Alcides Escobar be the Nats' super utility guy, like uh, what Asdrubal Cabrera was for the Nationals. And the Nats could always trade Alcides Escobar next season if they're bad again. So yeah, I'm fine with the re-signing of Alcides Escobar. Even a rebuilding team isn't going to have every player being 25 or younger. Uh, Now, the Nats do very much need to get younger. And so to me, the Alex Avila's and Jordy Mercer's and Gerardo Parra's uh, need to be gone, all due respect. Uh, But I'm willing to make an exception for Escobar, just like I'm willing to make an exception for Ryan Zimmerman, especially if there's a universal DH for next season. But this really is one of the more unlikely success stories in Nats history. Alcides Escobar becoming a sneaky, productive player for the team in the 2021 season. All right, one quick item. Uh, The expected became official on Tuesday as Maryland head coach Mike Loxley announced that receiver Dante Demas Jr. is in fact done for the season. Demas in that hideous 51-14 loss to then number five Iowa in College Park this past Friday night suffered a nasty-looking right leg injury on an early second quarter six-yard kickoff return on which he committed a lost fumble. Just a brutal blow for Demas. Demas is so good. Uh, He, over the Terps' first four games this season, had three 100-yard receiving games. Uh, Demas, now famously, while being carted off the field on Friday night, shouted, I'm coming back. Uh, I'm assuming that means from the injury, because it may not mean that he's coming back to play football for Maryland. Uh, He could just go right into the NFL draft. We'll see. Uh, Terps are at number seven, Ohio State, this Saturday at noon. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Thursday show, episode 161, will feature a ton on the Washington football team off the start of its practice week on Wednesday for the game against the New Orleans Saints at FedEx Field this Sunday afternoon at 1. We anticipate both Ron Rivera and Taylor Heineke speaking on Wednesday via post-practice press conferences, so we'll have plenty to talk about. Have a great rest of your Wednesday, and I'll talk to you on Thursday. You blew it!